Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So I know last week that I said that today was going to be the end of our uh, study on the road less traveled. It's not. Uh, There's one more week. (laughs) we found like a little side road that we needed to go to. So um, no, I I just need one more week to wrap things up. So um, the great news is that after today, we will no longer talk about death. We will no longer talk about sin. We will no longer talk about judgment. All of those things will be done after today. (laughs) 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 Then next week, we'll talk about the, the, uh, the kingdom of God after, you know, post those judgments and everything will be great. And then the week after that, we can come back to sin, death, and judgment and it'll be fine. So uh, that, that's, that's the way of things. Um, as I was preparing for today, I was thinking about multiple instances that I have heard, and I'm, I'm sure that you guys have probably heard this. You, you may have even experienced this yourself about where you, you've heard accounts of people that are dealing with some sort of medical issue. There's, there's some type of, of problem, you know, medical, physical issue going on in, in their life. Um, and either as a response to medication that they're taking or as a response to that medical issue in their life, that person is operating at a standard that is below their potential, right? They're, they're either cognitively or physically, there's this limiter that is in place. And what I've heard, this isn't something that I can, I was thinking back if there's ever been a time that I experienced this, and I don't feel like there has been. But from accounts that I've heard, there comes a point where you don't necessarily even recognize that you're limited any longer. There comes a point where you don't even really realize that there's anything happening. And so, hey, Dad, um, we've got a, a visitor out front if you can take a look. Uh, and so we get to this point where you don't even recognize that that's going on. You don't even recognize that there's, there's any limitation in place until that limitation is lifted. And then when that limitation is lifted, whether it's you're, you no longer need to be on the medication or the medication has done what it's supposed to do and that, that physical issue is healed, or if there is an actual healing that takes place, maybe spiritual healing, whatever it is, that then allows you to, to operate outside of that. And you realize, man, it's like there's a whole other gear that I get to shift into in terms of productivity, whether it's productivity, you know, in my day-to-day life or in spiritual productivity that God has called me to. And this type of process that's going on, this this happening, is what comes to, to mind when we start talking about what happens when there is no more sin. What happens when there's no more death? What happens when there are no more tears? What happens when all of those things are wiped away, when the old is made new? there's going to be a a complete 
change, a, com- a complete removal of limitations in our life, of, of the, the feelings and experiences in our life that we didn't even know. I don't think we can even begin to grasp or comprehend what it will be like to live in that state. We can't begin to grasp what the final defeat of sin looks like because it's all we've ever known. The, the life that we live in is all we have ever known. When that time comes for the, the final battle where the enemy will be thrown down, where the enemy is defeated and sin will be no more, a relief that we have never known will be felt. And so before we get into this final victory that we're going to talk about next week, there are two points that we need to go over, a meal and a millennium. It's not going to take a millennium. We're just talking about a millennium. Um, If we're going to talk about a world that exists in perfect harmony, perfect peace, perfect comfort, with no knowledge or experience, and just think about that for a minute. There's no knowledge or experience of what sin is, of guilt, of shame, of death, of disease, of division, loss, fear, anger. There's no knowledge of what any of those things are. If we're to imagine a world that exists free from all of those things, then we need to come to these two points first. And so we're going to start with the meal. And we're working through Revelation 19 and 20 this morning. There's a meal, and there's, there's this specific meal that's called out in the book of Revelation. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And again, if you don't go to church, you kind of start looking at at words like that, and you're like, what on earth are they talking about? That seems a little strange. If you stop and look throughout Scripture, and this was was really cool to to see, and it was something that I hadn't really picked out. You may see this, and you're like, man, you're a pastor. You should probably get, get on this a little bit better. But it was so cool to see this, that throughout Scripture... God has chosen to shape and to form his people around tables. And it, it, again, it's not necessarily something that you have, that you, you may have picked up on, but if you look back all the way to like the beginning parts of the Old Testament, you look at Exodus. If we look at the book of Exodus, God's people are enslaved. And in Exodus 3, it says that God heard the cry of his people and saw their oppression. And what did he do? He called them to a table. The, the table that's being talked about, there's the Passover table, right? And so he, he calls them to a table and he says, hey, I want you to sit here. And as you're sitting here, this, this meal little do they know, is going to become the anchor point throughout the entire Old Testament. This is going to be be something that they revisit time and time and time again. Sit down. Don't you remember that time that I took care of you? That time that I met every single need that you ever had? Don't you remember that? Do you remember that time that I showed up and I defeated every single God of those people that were oppressing you, that, that I made a way for you out of captivity, that I brought you into a land that was promised to you? Don't you remember That's the point of the table. And as they're sitting at this table, they they taste this bitter herb 
Why, why are they eating this bitter herb? It's like, did they like kale back then too? No, it, it had nothing to do with it being a superfood. They are eating this bitter herb as the reminder that the enemy has been defeated. God is teaching his people at the table that they don't need anything except what he provides. And if we move forward, there's, there's more tables that come up. If we move forward and we look at the, the New Testament, guess what the, the supper that they're sitting down to at the, at, when Jesus comes and he tells his disciples? He says, hey, there's some stuff that's going to happen. The, the meal that, that you're, you're participating in right now, this Passover meal that you're participating in, this bread that you're eating, this wine that you're drinking... This is the Passover meal completed. And so once again, we, we come to this table, the, the disciples come to the table, but then we're invited to the table as well. As long as you gather until everything is made new, remember. There's another table that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But as we stop for just a minute and think about, about that table, about the call from that table, and compare that to, to our culture today, the, the table that we see represented in both of those instances, it, it really focuses and shines a light on, on this, this emphasis on feasting, this emphasis on celebration, this emphasis of remembering. And when we kind of compare that to the the way that we share meals sometimes, and this is no judgment if you find yourself in this statement, but how often is it, are you driving down the road at, at you know, 65 miles an hour, just chucking chicken McNuggets to the back seat of the, the kids that are in the back saying, just, just eat your dinner, we gotta go. We have to get to the thing that we're supposed to be at. We're running late. We have to go do this thing. Maybe we're the only people that are, that are in that boat, Kaylee, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But at this meal that we're being invited to, at, at the meal that we have been called to, this wedding supper of the Lamb, we don't have to worry about what we're bringing to the table. We don't have to worry about what we're wearing to the table. There, those things are already provided. When we show up, Jesus says, I, I've got the table set. When we show up and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm filthy. Jesus says, it's Okay. I have white linen robes that are available for you. Do you know what white linen robes were? Who wore those? The priests wore the white linen, white linen robes. This is what, what David's talking about in the 23rd Psalm. Each of the meals that we just talked about takes place right before the enemy is about to be blown up. If you think about the, the, the meal that's going to take place, the Passover meal that is happening in Exodus right before the people of Israel leave, right before they leave, the, the enemy is completely destroyed. They're decimated. Egypt goes through this horrific event of seeing their firstborn killed. And they are liberated out of this place and they go out into the wilderness and they eventually take possession of their land. The Lord's Supper 
right after the, the Lord's Supper is taken in, and we have that event, right, where, where Jesus brings this new covenant promise to his disciples, Christ dies and he's resurrected from the dead and everything changes. So in the, the 23rd Psalm, we have this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's kind of important to realize when you're reading the 23rd Psalm, we're involved in very little of this process. Very little of, of what we read in the 23rd Psalm has, has anything to do with my best efforts, has anything to do with, with what I'm contributing. We don't win any victory at all. It comes from God, and He allows us to walk in it over and over and over again. If you look at it, it says, you are with me, your rod, your staff, you prepare, you anoint. And yet He comes alongside, He says, but I'm giving my victory to you. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm taking care of you. I care for you. I will, I will prepare this table for you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, just like we just sang about. Another table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Never read the 23rd Psalm fast. When you read this, there should be just a, a weight that's lifted for just a moment where we just get to see that's the promise. God, once again, forming his people around a table. If you look in the book Ecclesiastes, seven times it says that good food with good wine and good friends is holy. Feasting according to God's word is an act of defiance. Let's, what does that mean? What, what we do consistently together is what will form us. And so here we have David pointing out that even as the enemy is forming up for attack, even as the enemy is preparing to come against me, I'm able to be at peace at the table that he has prepared for me. I do not need to stand in fear because my God has prepared a table before me. And goodness and mercy are what will follow me. One author says this, the Lord presides over a meal as a host. A war has rendered all enemies powerless to harm. Psalm 23 and Revelation 19 are companion pieces in the exposition of salvation, showing forth the two elements of salvation, rescue from the catastrophe of the shadow of death and hospitality at a table where we are made whole 
with the intimacies of goodness and mercy. God doesn't just rescue. And sometimes, I mean, it, it would, sometimes we just look at it like, that would be enough. If God just rescued, like, that's, that's all I can hope for. And yet God says, not only am I going to rescue you, I'm going to put you at the table. I'm going to clothe you in the robes of a priest, and I'm going to shower you with goodness and mercy until every need that you have is met. That's the kind of God that we serve. It's not an accident that we're, we're talking about these, these new process of this new, um, I don't know what we call it, this new event, this new time of gathering, coming together. It's coming to a table. Now, okay, we're not, maybe we won't eat at that table, but we're coming together recognizing who has brought us together. And it's critical that we, we come to this table, we come to this supper, we come to this, this time that we have been invited to, recognizing that it's not by anything that we have done ourselves. It's through a gift of God. And now we come to the millennium. All right. Buckle up. <laughs> We're coming to another point in Scripture where people can have some pretty specific views on, on what is the right answer. When it comes to the millennium, there are generally three different interpretations that exist. We have pre-millennium, we have post-millennium, and we have a-millennium. And maybe all of you are here like, what does that even mean? Like, what, what are we talking about here? And before we even get into what the differences are of these things, anytime we have this type of conversation, there, there's something that we have to recognize first. And that is that we agree on more than that which we disagree on. And it's critical to keep that in mind. Another critical truth to keep in mind as we talk about stuff, especially things like this out of the book of Revelation, in the end, Jesus wins. I know it. That's what the word of God says, and we can all agree on that. If someone is in a camp about the millennium that is right and I am wrong, I'm not going to be in heaven pouting. I'm not going to be like, oh man, I like led all of these people astray. I was so wrong. I'm going to be like, you guys got it. Praise God. And we move on. So my goal this morning is to help us understand what these different views uh, are. And maybe you'll catch a glimpse of what it is that I think. But at the end of the day, if you disagree with what it is that I'm saying, that's okay because we all agree that Jesus ultimately has victory. So first, first we have premillennialism. Don't get hung up on all the words, okay? On all, that is the longest word you're going to hear is premillennialism, postmillennialism, because I guess post is letters. But still, the pre-millennialists are divided into two groups, 
classic pre-mill, we'll abbreviate, uh, and dispensationalist pre-mill. Come with me, okay? I promise we will make this clear. So on the one hand, we have this classic premillennialism. And so it comes from the time where the church fathers believed that when Jesus returns, he's going to establish his kingdom upon earth for a thousand years, which may be a symbolic thousand or a literal 1,000. We don't know. However, it doesn't hold to the idea that there will be some secret rapture that takes place before the tribulation takes place. So that's okay. I mean, I think that's fairly clear. This historical perspective understands that the new people of God, the new people of God being those who are, are saved after Jesus came, to be the church and therefore the promise that God made to the nation of Israel are fulfilled in the history of the church, both before and after the second coming. So basically what this is saying is that the people who have chosen to follow God are, are now considered the new Israel. And so the promises that were made to Israel are being fulfilled in all of the church at large. That's, that's basically what it's talking about. If we look to dispensationalist premillennialism, big words, I know, I promise it's not, I'm not going to test you, There's no, you don't have to like fill out an exam at the end of this thing, it's going to be fine. The difference that exists between this and the historical premillennialism is that it believes that Christ is going to rapture the church before the tribulation happens. So that's, that's like the key differentiation. One is saying that, that the rapture happens after tribulation, and one is saying that it happens before. Like, if that's all you take away from those two differences, that's, that's pretty clear. There's some other stuff that exists here that's a little bit different. Um, the dispensationalists believe that the, the promises that are made regarding Israel are, are specific to Israel, not to the, the church at large. And so there's some, some things that, that happen around that that we're not going to dive a whole lot into. But those are, are generally the differences. Okay, not too bad. We, we, we did okay there. So now we have post-millennialism. So post-millennialism is very different from pre-millennialism in that the millennium according to post-millennialism, is something that occurs before Jesus' second coming rather than after. So they're saying that, that the millennium is this time of great prosperity for the kingdom of God. And what they're saying is that it basically started when Jesus ascended into heaven, that there's this millennium that has started, that there is this ever-increasing uh, growth of the kingdom of God on, on earth. The, the world as they see it is on an ongoing golden process of progress. That more and more people are coming to Christ. That, that the kingdom of God is continuing to grow. 
The, the thousand years doesn't necessarily have to, again, be literal. They're thinking maybe, maybe it's symbolic. Again, a lot of what we see in the book of Revelation is symbolic, so that could very well be the case. And so eventually there comes a time where God comes back, the millennium's done, and, and we move forward into the, the next events that, that are, are said to happen. And if we look at amillennialism, they take a very similar view that the millennium started when Jesus ascended into heaven. But they are, are saying that there really isn't any form of, of rapture that takes place. They're saying that unlike the, the pre-mill stance, there's this persuasion that, that Christ isn't necessarily going to set up a thousand-year reign, that, that that's not really happening at all, that once he comes back, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, but there's, there's nothing else that, that's, there's not this upward march towards an improved earth or increase in God's kingdom. When God comes back, when Jesus comes back, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's, that's the assumption. And so, now, now that we have this very, very high-level overview of these four ideas, we say, okay, Pastor Matt, you just tell us which one's right, and we'll, we'll just look at that one. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think we're going to make it that easy. So let's just stop and, and, and talk for a minute. It would be easy to point to amillennialism and say, well, I just picked that one because that one seems pretty simple. There, there's nothing that's going to happen until Jesus comes back and then it, we're, we're done. Everything, everything works. Let's not be lazy. We need to stop and think about what does the Bible say? Because that's what we know. What we know to be true is what the Bible says. Everything else are our best guesses. If we look at Revelation 20, if you, as you read through Scripture and you, you come to Revelation 20, there are some specific verses that, that get talked about that talk about the, the enemy being sealed away, the enemy not being allowed to, to move upon the earth. And so my, my first question, I'm going to ask some questions, not necessarily make statements. My first question is, if we are going to say that we are in a post-millennial world, if we're saying that, that the world is on this ever upward trajectory of seeing an increase in the kingdom of God and that that is the millennium, how does that jive with what we see in the world today where we see the level of brokenness where we see the level of war and conflict, is that really reflective of an enemy being sealed away or is that reflective of an enemy being on the loose, alive and well, and we are actively at war with that enemy? That is a question that I would ask. What I will say is, historically, this particular view towards, uh, the, towards the millennium had a lot of prominence right up until the events of World War I and World War II. And all of a sudden, the entire nation looks at, at these events saying, how does these fit? 
How does this work? How is it true that we're, we're supposed to be seeing this, this ever-increasing golden age of, of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in light of what's happening across the, the world? So that's a question that we have to answer. The, the primary difference that we see between premillennialism and postmillennialism and amillennialism is whether the, the millennium starts when Christ ascends to heaven or whether it starts at a, a later time. That's, that's the primary difference between those two. And so if we think about that fact. And then we think about the point that I just, just discussed and the, the question that I just asked of, of how does that fit with what we see happening in the world today. I do not feel personally that I'm living in a world that is, that is on an upward trajectory. To me, very much, it feels like I'm in a world that is in a downward trajectory. That's not me living in, in fear. That's not me uh, living in a... a, a pessimistic viewpoint, that's me just kind of feeling reality. And so for me, that, that kind of negates those two as being options for me to choose. And so now it comes down to this, this second question of, okay, so if I'm saying that, that I fall into the camp of premillennialism, which maybe I do, maybe I don't, that's up for you to decide. If that's where I land... Then we have to say, okay, what are the difference between those two things? The difference between those two items primarily is that we have when the rapture takes place, whether it's before or after a tribulation, a time of, of judgment, a time of God's judgment, as well as whether or not there's a distinction between uh, followers of Christ after Jesus and the people of God in Israel. And so when we start talking about tribulation, we probably need to know what that is, right? We, we, we need to have that defined a little bit. And because so far over the past weeks, we've talked about seals being opened. We've talked about trumpets being blown. We've talked about bowls of God's wrath being poured out. And these specific judgments that are, are taking place, we've talked about them in light of how they affect the church of 96 AD. We've talked about them, how they affect the church 500 years from there. We've talked about how they affect us today. And just as, as how it's going to affect the church in the future. So the, these events have meaning for all of these different church, churches, all of these different bodies of Christ, the, the single body of Christ throughout history. But what this specific viewpoint of tribulation is, is that there is going to be one point where it comes to an end. There, there is going to be a final event that takes place. 
That's, that's what these viewpoints towards tribulation are, is that there is going to be a time where this, this single point of judgment happens, where at the very end, this is the, the last page in the book, if you will. The tribulation, as it's considered by, by these views of, of pre-millennialism, are saying that there are going to be specific events that are associated to the, these judgments that will happen at specific times, that will usher in the millennium. And the question then being, will God have the church experience these events or will they be called to heaven first? That's, that's the question. Ultimately, that's the question. You know what? I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't. <laughs> but again, now we come to what do we know? And, and when I, we come to what we know, that's what helps us make a decision. What do I know about God? I know that God is merciful. I know that God is loving. I know that God wants the best for me. And if there is a, a time where there is judgment that is taking place on the earth, and again, what's the point of this judgment? The point of this judgment is to draw people to him. It's not to punish, it's to draw people to, to remind them yet again that they have an opportunity to step out from under the wrath that they are experiencing. The only people experiencing wrath in these events are the people that have chosen to. And so with that in mind, it seems reasonable to state that wouldn't God pull the people out that have already made that decision to not go through that hardship? Maybe. Maybe. So we've, we've had this conversation. We've, we've kind of placed these ideas in front of us. Now it's time for us to, to make this decision, right? To think, okay, where do we fall in this camp? Hopefully we don't have anybody that's like, I'm, I'm walking out. This, this is, I, I just can't take this, uh, this type of conversation. No, I, I want us to remember this critical point when discussing this or any other secondary point in Scripture. And what are secondary and primary points? Let's, let's remind ourselves of this, right? Primary points are, are those things that are critical to the faith that we can't count compromise on. That, that's what a primary uh, point or a primary doctrine is. What are examples of that? That God is a triune God. That the deity of Christ, that, God, uh, that Christ came to earth, that he lived a sinless life, that he, he died on a cross and he rose again. We, those are, are things that we cannot compromise on. That is truth. The inerrancy of Scripture is, is something we will not compromise on. But then there are these secondary points that are important to take a stand on, but that salvation itself doesn't hinge on. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Methods of water baptism. You want to know how many people have left churches because they disagree on how you're supposed to water baptize? Don't get me started on light fixtures. Um, and you guessed it, views on millennialism falls into the secondary point category. And so often, and as I was doing this research, I was, 
I, I was going online and I was looking at, at different message boards where people are talking about this and, and people are sharing their thoughts on this. And, and you'd see responses come back from people calling other people heretics for, for how they were, were taking viewpoints that were different than the ones that, that this person was taking. And I'm looking at them both saying, oh, I don't really agree with either of you. And that's not heresy. And if we're going to start using the word heresy, we need to look up what the definition is before we start using it. I'm not going to talk about that today, but, but before we start calling people heretics, we need to know what that means. Just because somebody is saying something that you don't agree with doesn't make them a heretic, okay? So let's just get that out of the way. So while it is entertaining for us to try and predict what the future may hold, Partially because it helps us feel more confident in, in our own actions, right? Why are we so focused on, on how the millennium is going to work? Because we want to know how we're, what we're going to have to go through, right? <laughs> that, at the end of the day, that's, that's the primary focus. Why do I care so much? It's because, man, I would love to not have to deal with all of these different uh, seals, trumpets, and bowls. Like that, that would be great. But ultimately, only God knows. What I do know is that regardless of which view someone claims to hold as truth on that spectrum of pre, post, A, whatever, they're a brother or sister to me. We're called to work together to further the kingdom of God until he comes in glory, bringing with him ultimate victory. That's, that's what I know. So while it's, it's interesting to dive into the specifics of these different views, ultimately, I can rest secure in what I know and what my calling is today, leaving the future to the only one who knows what it is. And that should be reassuring. Because so often we find ourselves getting caught up on the, the stuff that we don't know. Man, you want to just get totally hung up, you just read the book of Daniel and you will come out really worried about all the stuff that you don't know. As we've gone through and read the book of Revelation over the past few weeks, it would be very easy to come out of here and say, man, I am, I am really not okay with all of the things that I don't know, all of the stuff that I, I don't understand here. And yet what I do know takes care of all of that. What I do know is that God wins. What I do know is that there is an enemy of my soul, but in the midst of all of this, there's a battle that has already been won. And so I don't need to worry about those things. I need to focus on what my task is for today and what my task will be for tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have already won the battle and that you prepare a table before us. and that you have invited us to that table. God, we thank you that you are, are forming your people. You are transforming your people around that table. God, we choose to come and just as we are. I don't have to go get ready. I don't need to go, go make myself clean. I don't have to do anything at all. I can come exactly as I am. And goodness and mercy meets me there.
God, we thank you. What a blessing. Lord, I ask that you would knit us together, that you would knit us together in unity, that we would not allow the, the minor secondary points that, that sometimes seem so important to us, that we would not allow those things to get in the way uh, of who you've called us to be as followers of Christ. God, as we go forth from this place, as we go out into the world, Lord, we ask that, that you would cause us to have that eternal perspective, that you would cause us to, to recognize what it is that we need to focus on, what it is that, that is the priority. God, sometimes it, we, we feel like the, the priority needs to be all of the immediate concerns and needs that exist in my life, but in reality, Lord, you are the priority. Help me to keep that focus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 